Well, thanks very much, uh, Ed, for a uh, much too generous introduction. Uh, thank you to Alan's and to Gavin uh, for hosting us in this beautiful venue on a very toasty Sydney day today. Uh, I acknowledge the Gadigal people, traditional owners of the land on which we gather today. Uh, pay my respects to all First Nations people present and commit myself to the implementation of the Uluru Statement from the Heart, uh, which starts with voting yes on October 14th. Uh, it's always a, a real delight to address the McKell Institute. New South Wales Premier William McKell not only taught my party that it was possible to win back-to-back -back elections, he also provided a model for how to govern in turbulent times. McKell became Premier in 1941, the year of Pearl Harbour, and governed until 1947, through the end of the war and into the peace. Like Curtin and Chifley, McKell saw an opportunity to rebuild a nation that was stronger after the war than before. And it's a real treat to be speaking in the legacy of McKell today. So, to AI. In 1955, a group of mathematicians sent a funding proposal to the Rockefeller Foundation. They were seeking support for a summer of brainstorming at Dartmouth College in New Hampshire. Their goal was to carry out a two-month, 10-person study of artificial intelligence to find out how machines make language, form ab abstractions and concepts, solve the kinds of problems now reserved for humans and improve themselves. Lacking no modesty, the application said, we think a significant advance can be made in one or more of these problems if a carefully selected group of scientists work on it together for a summer. The Dartmouth workshop was held in 1956. It did not solve all the problems of artificial intelligence in two months. But it did mark the first use of the term artificial intelligence. And the attendees at this seminal event are considered the founders of AI research. In the coming decades, researchers encountered several AI winters. Among the many challenges programmers encountered uh, was the difficulty of word sense disambiguation. Put simply, to translate a sentence, a machine needs to have some idea of the subject or it made mistakes. One possibly apocryphal example arises from an attempt to train an AI to translate from English to Russian. Given the English saying, the spirit is willing but the fle flesh is weak, the early AI model translated it literally into Russian as, the vodka is good but the meat is rotten. <laughs> Those early researchers weren't just held back by the processing power of their machines. They were working on a model of AI that was based on giving a computer a series of rules that it would follow in sequence. The problem is humans don't learn to speak by following rules. Instead, we learn by listening to others, by trying and failing over and over. Classical symbolic AI is dubbed GoFi, or good old-fashioned AI. Generative AI which trains computers by providing them with a vast number of examples, succeeds where good old-fashioned AI failed by using neural networks. These networks need vast amounts of data. In recent years, they've made vast breakthroughs. The rise of AI engines has been remarkable. To reach 100 million users, the telephone took 75 years. The mobile phone took 16 years. The web took seven years. Facebook took four years. Instagram took three years. And ChatGPT took two months. 
The progress of these systems can be seen in looking at their performance on tasks that humans find difficult. Compare ChatGPT's version 3.5, released in 2022, with new version 4, released in 2023. Faced with the New York bar exam, the old model scored at the 10th percentile. The new model aces the test at the 90th percentile. On the advanced sommelier theory test, the old model scored at the 46th percentile, while the new model scores at the 77th percentile. And that's just one year's improvement. People are using AI in ingenious ways. A garden designer who specialises in ultra-high density planting arrangements uses AI to inspire him in choosing species that fit together. For example, it might suggest using a moringa tree to provide shade for a star apple. A cocktail lover uses AI to design innovative new drinks and accompanies his designs with the images from Dali. Software engineers use AI from everything from writing complex Excel formulas to debugging computer code. If you've never programmed a website, take a photo of one and AI will write you the code. One programmer designed an AI clock that writes a new poem every minute to match the moment, such as the clock strikes 1.38, afternoon sun shines bright with fate. In another case, NASA research engineer Ryan McClelland uses AI to design parts that are strong yet light. McClelland acknowledges that it sometimes produces things that are unworkable, but can also develop products that are extraordinary. It's like collaborating with an alien, he says. In the artistic community, Jason Allen won the Emerging Digital Artist Award at the Colorado State Fair annual art competition earlier this month for his beautiful artwork, Theatre d'Opera Special, made using Midjourney. Allen estimates it took around 900 iterations over 80 hours to produce the image. Controversially, the US Copyright Office has decided that the image cannot be copyrighted since it was made not by a human, but by a machine. A decision with which my co-author Joshua Gans profoundly disagrees. In South Korea, K-pop band Maeve, combined of Siu, Zena, Tyra and Marty, initially looked similar to other K-pop bands. But everything about them, their songs, their dances, their facial features, their clothing, their props and their interviews are all AI generated. Maeve's debut single, Pandora, went viral in January passing 10 million views on YouTube in two weeks. And, speaking of singles, an increasing number are falling in love with AI chatbots. A majority of paid users of the Replica app report having had a romantic relationship with the chatbot. As one user explained, they feel she understands me and is very patient with me. Immense economic and social benefits will flow from AI but it's vital to acknowledge the multifaceted challenges that AI brings. Under the leadership of Minister for Industry and Science, Ed Husick, our government's established the National AI Centre, introduced the Responsible AI Adopt Initiative for Small and Medium Enterprises, and issued a discussion paper on safe and responsible AI in Australia. This discussion paper canvasses a wide range of important issues in AI, including privacy, bias, transparency, IP, accountability, safety, and reliability. As the Assistant Minister for Competition, my remit isn't to consider AI in its full breadth, 
Instead, my focus is on one narrow part of the puzzle to answer the question, what will AI do for competition? At its simplest, the debate boils down to pessimists versus optimists. Pessimists point to the fact that some of the best generative AI models are those run by tech giants, including Meta, Microsoft and Alphabet. The computing power and training and data requirements are immense. This strikes some as an industry that is likely to consolidate, just as internet search over the past quarter century has gone from a fragmented market to a near monopoly. Optimists note that not all AI models are currently run by technology behemoths. ChatGPT and DALI were created by OpenAI, an eight-year-old company with around 400 employees. Claude was built by Anthropic, a two-year-old company with around 200 employees. Another reason for optimism is that much of the ecosystem is currently open source, allowing developers to build on many of the best generative AI models. So what are the factors that will shape competition in artificial intelligence? At the outset, it's worth recognising AI can be a valuable competitive force in product and service markets. A startup might use Copilot, developed by GitHub and OpenAI, to co quickly code an interactive website that allows it to take on bigger players. An innovator might use Jasper Art to produce the marketing materials to publicise her new invention. A new migrant running a small business might use Llama to check letters before she sends them out to clients, ensuring that the quality of her output doesn't suffer merely because English is her second language. In each of these cases, consumers benefit. AI reduces barriers to entry for new firms, creating more opportunities for customers. It can help small firms scale faster, placing pressure on lazy incumbents. If all firms have access to similar quality AI, it can have a democratising effect on the economy, potentially boosting dynamism. Yet while those upside benefits have been widely acknowledged, there's been less attention on the ways that AI might pose competitive challenges. So today, my focus will be on those looming risks. And in my view, there's five to watch for. One, costly chips. Currently, only a handful of companies have the cloud and computing resources necessary to build and train AI systems. This means any rival AI startup must pay to license server inf infrastructure from those firms. Computing power, including the development of AI systems, also relies on access to currently costly and scarce semiconductor chips. Over the past decade, chipmaker NVIDIA has built a huge lead over other companies in the manufacture of AI chips, particularly those used for generative AI. NVIDIA's market share now exceeds 70%. NVIDIA's direct engagement with AI companies led it to create a technology called CUDA, which helps program its chips. This effect, according to one article, is to build a competitive moat around AI chips. Further upstream, the creation of chips requires lithography machines. Dutch company ASML has over 60% of the lithography market. ASML has developed unique capabilities. ASML produces a machine known as an extreme ultraviolet lithography tool, which costs over $100 million per machine, 
and is used to make some of the most sophisticated chips in the world. ASML has 100% of the extreme ultraviolet lithography market. As Chris Miller points out in his book Chip War, we can contrast those market share figures with oil, oil cartel OPEC, which dominates the market with a 40% share. Those investments don't stop once the technology is developed. The systems continue to require significant amounts of computing power. After the public launch of ChatGPT in December 2022, OpenAI CEO Sam Altman estimated that it cost probably single-digit cents per chat. With around a billion visits a month, this puts the monthly operating cost of ChatGPT at between 10 and 100 million US dollars. Challenge two, private data. The best AI models are those that are trained on the highest quality and greatest volume of data. Therefore, access to training data is essential in developing competitive, viable models and associated products and services. For example, the latest AI models from Google and Meta are trained on about a trillion words. How many is that? Well, one way to think about it is it's 250 times as many words as in the English version of Wikipedia. Another way to think about it is that you, if you're reading continuously at a normal pace, then to read one trillion words would take about 7,000 years. Further, generative AI systems are current to a certain point in time. For all its strength, the major weakness of ChatGPT4 is it's based on data up to 2021, which raises the question, how intelligent can a machine be if it thinks that Boris Johnson, Jair Bolsonaro and Scott Morrison are still in office. Given a choice between an AI engine that is up to date and one that's out of date, users are likely to flock to the one that knows that Russia has invaded Ukraine and the COVID lockdowns have ended. If the cost of updating and fine-tuning the model is high, then that'll entrench the data advantage of the dominant firm. Another factor that might drive market concentration is the way that platforms that hold huge troves of data are responding. Technology futurist Stuart Brand once said, information wants to be free, but the people who run the major archives don't seem to agree with Stuart Brand. In recent times, Reddit has announced usage-based charges to fend off firms training large language models on its public posts. This charge has increased over time as the data becomes more valuable. Likewise, the platform formerly known as Twitter recently ended its relationship with OpenAI after Elon Musk reportedly didn't feel that OpenAI was paying enough for the data. Musk has since announced plans to build his own AI business using the data. I don't know which Musk business that would make it. And likewise, a major issue in the Hollywood writers' strike is the concern among Hollywood writers that their content is being used to train large language models. It's possible that this is resolved by a decision that no AI models be able to train on past Hollywood scripts. But it's also conceivable that there's a resolution reached which, between the writers and the studios that provides access to their data only to a privileged few AI engines. Data access could potentially push the AI market towards a less competitive outcome. Three, network effects. One of the factors that push digital markets towards consolidation are network effects. 
If the top ride-hailing service has twice as many cars as its rival, more users will use it in order to enjoy shorter waiting times. If the top online marketplace has more buyers than sellers, people will tend to flock to it to get the best deal. If you're picking a social media platform, you're going to choose the one that your friends use. Though AI engines don't currently involve much direct interaction between users, the technology still benefits from network effects. This is because systems learn from their users. By observing which responses meet user demands, generative AI systems are able to steadily improve the relevance and accuracy of outputs. In this sense, network effects operate more like they do for internet search than for matching platforms. We've long known that Google search learns from its users. In July 2023, a change in the company's privacy policy made clear that Google's AI engine, BARD, would operate in the same way. Collecting information that's publicly available online or from other public sources to help train Google's AI models, as the user agreement said. I'm sure all of you read, read them before you click, clicked accept. Meanwhile, Google expressly prohibits others from using its services for developing machine learning models on or related technology. Now at present, we know relatively little about the extent to which AI engines are able to improve based on natural language prompts. But it's, it seems safe, safe to assume that the best AI engines are working hard on maximising the benefits they get from us, their users. This means network effects could fuel market power, entrenching the position of the strongest platforms. If AI engines are natural monopolies, then competition regulators ought to worry. Similar principles apply to applications of deep learning. Considering the impact of AI on innovation, a trio of economists warns that in each application sector, there is the possibility of firms that are able to establish an advantage at an early stage. And in so, in so doing, position themselves to be able to generate more data about their technology, about consumer behaviour, about their organisational processes, and will be able to erect a deep learning driven barrier that will ensure market dominance over at least the medium term. Fourth challenge, immobile talent. Across the modern economy, few skills are more sought after than people who design AI systems. This includes not only those who code generative AI engines, but also the people who keep them updated or build the programs that run off those engines. Training a program who can programmer who can operate at that level isn't something that can be done in a few weekends. It requires high-level training over many years. Given the explosion in demand for those computer scientists, it's likely that this will remain a bottleneck. That might matter less if the relevant workers were able to move freely across firms. But research in the United States and Australia has identified that approximately one in five workers are presently bound by a non-compete clause, which constrains their ability to move to another employer. Although we don't have specific evidence on non-compete clauses for Australian software engineers, the survey conducted by think tank E61 found that these clauses were more prevalent than average in the employment contracts of managers and in the employment contracts of people with a university degree. 
Limiting job mobility can dampen wage growth, but it's also a constraint on the ability of new firms to challenge incumbents. The next AI startup might find that it not only struggles to get the requisite chips and the requisite data, but also to hire the right workers. That's true further downstream too. According to economic researcher firm Mandala, the Australian companies investing most in AI and jobs and talent tend to be the largest players in their respective markets. In banking, the Commonwealth Bank had the highest AI investment, followed by Macquarie, NAB, Westpac and ANZ. In consulting, the largest AI investments are being made by Deloitte, Accenture, IBM and EY. Among technology firms operating in Australia, the biggest AI investors are Amazon, Optus, Telstra and Splunk. Poaching talent away from those companies may be a challenge for any Australian firm seeking to build a company that uses AI in banking, consulting or technology. My final concern is the potential for AI systems to operate on an open first, closed later model. This has been a particular concern for the US Federal Trade Commission. The FTC warns of the potential for companies to use an open source approach to initially lure in new businesses and fresh streams of data, building scale advantages before then closing off their ecosystems to lock in customers and lock out competition. Open first, close later is a complaint that the FTC made in its 2021 suit against Facebook, contending that the social media giant used free access to encourage third parties to interconnect with its network, only then to impose restrictive conditions. Specifically, the FTC said, after starting Facebook platform as an open space for third party software developers, Facebook abruptly reversed course and required developers to agree to conditions that prevented successful apps from emerging as competitive threats to Facebook. By pulling this bait and switch on developers, Facebook insulated itself from competition during a critical period of technological change. Developers that had relied on Facebook's open access policies were crushed by new limits on their ability to interoperate. Now this kind of conduct isn't straightforward for competition regulators to control. It's legal for firms to charge for access and it's legal for firms to offer free access then competition regulators alleging a bait and switch might find themselves having to persuade a court that a pricing change is a form of anti-competitive conduct. In a complex market where true costs are difficult to discern, this could prove pretty challenging for the competition regulator. So what's the answer to these challenges? I don't have all of them and I'm afraid ChatGPT doesn't either. Competition regulators have already flagged their concern that AI may raise a myriad of issues, including bundling, self-preferencing and collusion. AI could also turbocharge fraud, enabling scammers to send personally ta tailored phishing messages, produce fake websites, overwhelm sites with fake consumer reviews, or create deep fake video and voice clones. A seven country survey found that one in 10 respondents had been targeted by an AI voice scam, such as the one where cyber criminals use snippets of online audio to trick people into thinking that their child or grandchild is in trouble and needs money to urgently be transferred. 
The design of new regulation takes into account a range of considerations. Economist Joshua Gans has cautioned governments to bring a competition lens to the regulation of AI, pointing out that the largest AI companies may welcome onerous licensing and regulatory barriers if they act as a competitive moat to keep new entrants at bay. At the same time, low levels of trust in the quality and safety of AI services can be a barrier to businesses adopting these technologies. Governments around the world are considering how best to reduce known risks associated with AI products while fostering competitive industries. In dealing with such complex challenges, I'm pleased at the level of international collaboration between competition agencies and between our domestic agencies, including work between the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, the Australian Communications and Media Authority, the eSafety Commissioner, and the Office of the Australian Information Commissioner on issues relating to the digital economy. Uh, I'd like to acknowledge uh, some of the staff from those agencies in the room, uh, including Marcus Betsy, who's the co-lead of the competition task force we've established within Treasury. So after an era in which productivity has languished, while inequality has worsened, artificial intelligence does offer the potential for massive economic gains. For Australia, AI has the potential to turbocharge productivity. Most of us work in the service sector, where tasks requiring information processing and written expression are ubiquitous. For consumer support, from consumer support to computer programming, education to law, there are massive potential for AI to make people more effective at their jobs. And the benefits go beyond what's sho what shows up in GDP. AI can make the ideal Spotify playlist for your birthday, detect cancer earlier, devise a training program for your new sport, or play devil's advocate when you're developing a new argument. AI might also be an equalising force. For a struggling student, an AI tutor might provide questions at just the right level, allowing a student to stay engaged with learning where they might otherwise have dropped out. For a migrant with imperfect English, AI allows them to communicate at a fluency that would otherwise be impossible. In healthcare, AI can help nurses and doctors do a better job in areas underserved by medical specialists, such as regional towns. In business, AI can help startups take on incumbents in a range of product and services, service markets. But it's not all upside. Many digital markets started off as fiercely competitive ecosystems, only to then consolidate over time. We should beware of incumbents asserting their right to train AI models on their own user data while denying data access to competitors. In this speech, I've identified five big challenges AI poses for competition. Costly chips, private data, network effects, immobile talent, and an open first, closed later model. These aren't just issues for our competition regulators but also for competition reformers. Just as competition laws needed to be updated to deal with the misbehaviour of oil titans and rail barons of 19th century America, so too we may need to make changes in Australian laws to address the challenges AI poses. In this case, we face a particular challenge because of the speed at which the technology is improving and being adopted. Like the steam engine and electricity, AI is what we economists call a general purpose technology. 
Meaning can be adopted in many ways. Past general purpose technologies took some time to affect our lives. In the case of electricity, for example, it took decades before industrialists rearranged factories to take advantage of electrification. But AI is a different kind of general purpose technology. Because it uses normal language, AI comes purpose-built for people to use it in all kinds of different contexts. After I'd played with AI for a few hours, it seemed natural to use it to choose a scenic stop-off during our recent family holiday. My parliamentary colleague Julian Hill organised a dinner to discuss AI. I happily replied with an AI-generated limerick. AI's ease of use is significantly increasing take-up, and that in turn places pressure on governments in terms of how we think about AI in different contexts, from children doing homework to doctors keeping patient notes. If AI is effectively a new factor of production, then we need to think about the extent to which it's amenable to competition. In other industries, competition has arisen because key staff left to create a competing company, or because it made sense for another firm to operate in a different product area, or, or because customers desired, it, desired a variant on the initial product. But if AI is learning from itself, if it's global, if it's general, then those features might not arise. In that scenario, consolidation might well be more likely than competition. That has impacts for geopolitics as well as for productivity. Within Treasury, our competition task force is engaged with these questions and considering what needs to be done. Bringing together economists and lawyers while drawing on academic expertise from Australia and overseas, we're applying a forensic energy to the process of competition reform. We're also considering the ACCC's recommendations to strengthen competition and consumer protection in markets for digital product platform services, which are increasingly integrating AI. Getting AI right might be as straightforward as getting Claude to create a dinner party menu for a group of gluten-free vegans who are trying the Atkins diet. With a technology that's moving this fast, it's unlikely we'll find a solution that's perfect the first time. But with AI having huge potential to transform our society and economy, it's critical that we're considering its competitive aspects. Only by doing so will we ensure that Australia reaps the greatest social and economic benefits of AI. Thanks very much.